Also, Endscoin, you've been telling me about it for a while. I finally started paying attention and started investing in it a couple of weeks ago. But trying to find resources about it, they seem very few and far between. There's a couple of YouTube videos of people interviewing the founder, Vladimir, and uh, he's not a very good salesman at all. He's he's very hard to listen to. He's very uh, dry and informative and not engaging at all. But it seems like you've talked to him before. You seem to be pretty educated. Could you tell me what Endscoin's about? And so I know what I'm actually investing in instead of just going on faith. Uh, yeah. So actually, even though you went on faith, it's a good faith because I think what you mentioned when it comes to him not being a good salesman is one of the things that's had less people involved in the project earlier on, as opposed to what's been happening recently in terms of the amount of influx of people who've gotten interest for this project. Because I saw it firsthand when it came to the slight little bull run that we had in DeFi this past summer or earlier in this summer. Nobody knew about Hensecoin, but it pumped from like nine cents to like 94 cents. Then there was an influx of people that came in like, what is this? Is This seems pretty cool. What is, what's going on there? And Vladimir has been going up as the best salesman going on all these YouTube channels talking about what Inscoins is. But, and then every time I listen to him, I'm like, Vlad, you're so smart. You know this protocol inside out and you're very qualified to do the protocol from the, like a fundamental research standpoint and like building it out for what it, um, like the promise that it's going to be. But you need somebody else to like talk about it. So essentially, Hensecoin is a spinoff of Cardano Mixer. So as before it was, the initial project was called Cardano Mixer, but with what happened to the Tornado Cash founder who got arrested, and actually I think he got convicted too. So Wait, what is, I vaguely know what Tornado Cash is. Could you like do a quick tangent on what that is and why he got arrested? Oh yeah, so Tornado Cash is a privacy protocol that's built on top of Ethereum. And essentially what it does is for when you send an ETH, it masks like the person who, like the sender and the receiver. So essentially like you send in an amount of ETH, it went to a wallet and then it kind of mixed it up with a lot of people sending the same or um the same, the equal amount of ETH. And then from there, that standpoint, once you withdraw and interact with that protocol, nobody will necessarily, you know, they'll know that you interacted with it, but they won't necessarily know the amount that you did. Like when it, when you withdrew, so it's like a way of shielding the amount of ETH that you might have. A lot of people who've done rug pulls have interacted with the Tornado Cash protocol in order for them to mask um, what what they did, like for them to like use those funds for something else. So it's it's essentially bringing privacy to the blockchain. But hence, Coin was trying to do like in the initial phase of Cardano Mixture. You're trying to do the exact same thing, but with the variation of being on top of Cardano and utilizing the UTXO model that Cardano has versus the accounts model that Ethereum has. That's a whole separate tangent. So essentially, just know that they're both different. And the uh, EUTXO model that Cardano uses provides certain levels of privacy initially, but you could really expand on the privacy with a protocol like Hensecoin which I'm going to get into in a little bit um, in order for you to like be, have private transactions on the public blockchain. And so hence coins, the long short of it is it's a privacy protocol that once you interact with it, you're going to be able to actually, there's, there's actually multiple levels to it. So the first level is the hence coin, the ENCS. It's mostly the, the DAO version of the protocol, um, the protocol. So essentially using that coin will give you rights to vote on proposals. And also to when you, you, you'll be able to use it in or in order to stake kind of like in Cardano staking where all of the interactions that happen with the protocol, if you stake your hands with a particular stake pool operator for the hands relayer, you'll be able to garner a portion of the fees for all of the transactions that that person undertook an order for to con um to provide privacy using the relay function of the of the protocol that's that, that's one separate part of it 
But so that's the standpoint of like what the utility use and utility of the coin is per se. And the second part of the use and utility of it is once you interact and you want to necessarily, you don't want people to know how much ADA that you have, right? Let's say you have a thousand ADA and ADA, let's say five years from now or 10 years from now is trading at a hundred bucks. So like the thousand ADA that you have is a significant amount of money. That's like what? A hundred thousand. And you want to kind of like obscure the amount of ADA that you have. And what you could essentially do is you go interact with the Hencecoin protocol. And once you do, you'll be able to, there's like different values of how much you're trying to um, have private and you interact with it by minting two NFTs. You have to mint at least two in order. And one could be a dummy NFT with zero amount of ADA in term in it. And then another one has like the thousand ADA or just like a variation of it. So essentially when you interact with that protocol, you get those two redeemable NFTs with a secret code that you could share with the other person that, that you want to send the ADA to. And that amount will like, let's say you, after that, you mint a hence coin NFT and you actually have to mint two. One of them has a value or it split the value or one of them has a value and the other one doesn't. And you could actually, over time, you could split it out to multiple NFTs. So you could have like six NFTs of hens and one of them has a redeemable value and all other five are dummy ones or just like very small amounts. So just like adding to the amount of privacy that you can have. And with that NFT that you would want to send to, let's say I want to send it to you. So I could send you one and I tell you the redeeming keys and the redeeming keys that you have, you'll be able to um, use that in order to redeem the amount of ADA. And that's a for the V1 in order for you to get that ADA. But from the transaction standpoint, from the blockchain, something happened, but they won't know what that amount of ADA was from like point A to point B. So... Okay. Yeah. Cause I was wondering that he mentioned something about an NFT and I did not understand what he's talking about at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's almost kind of like a bank and you're getting like a certificate of deposit almost. It seems like you're like, I want to obscure 10,000 ADA. You put it into the protocol, you get these two NFTs back that a seems minimum like, of two. Yeah. And it seems like their value has to add up to the 10,000. So you could exactly. have one that's 10,000, one that's zero, one that's five, both are 5,000, something like that. Mm hmm. And then how do you get the keys? Is that like in the metadata of the NFT or like how do you receive the keys that go along with the NFT? Has that been explained yet? Um, I'm going to give you a poor man's explanation of it. And from what I've, because I had that question with somebody and they, the way that they answered it, it just seems that once you mint the NFT yourself, you're going to be, you're going to have the keys the redeemable keys. And so you get, you meant the NFTs with the value and it gives you like a key. Um, and you can't forget that key. So it's like when you get like the secret keys, when you like exactly do an API or do something. So it's like, you're gonna have to like, it'll display it once you have to like write it down. And then they're like, if you lost it, that value is just like locked up in the protocol. You'll have that value there, but it's just like, damn, you can't necessarily redeem it. So that that's that secret key that you'll have. And that's the, if let's say I want to send the value to you, I send you the NFT, you have it. And from a standpoint of you trying to redeem that value, then I have to share the key with you. And then from there, you'll be able to kind of put in the password and then get the value of ADA that's within that NFT. And do you know why he decided to add the secret key onto it instead of just having the NFT that you could just redeem at any point is just like an extra layer of security or because that just kind of seemed... It's nice, but it also like seems like yeah. one more fail point where you're like, fuck, I have this NFT worth a million dollars, but I don't have the keys, so it's oh, worthless. I, I actually don't know why he added that, but it does seem like it's for more privacy. Um, did, yeah, actually, that's a good question. I should probably, I'll ask that in the group chat. Um, there's a, like most of my understanding of what's hence going came from. It's just initially I had read about it and I read the white paper and it just went over my head. And then later on, I was able to explain it barely, but actually I did a pretty good job mostly with one of the new people that came in during the small DeFi summer on Cardano. 
and that kind of put all the pieces together for me of just like understanding what this actually does and then later on um there's a there's just a guy who got promoted to community manager and the reason why is just because a lot of times people would ask questions and he's not one of the developers but he actually had the right answer and he also created a video i should share it with you um about the protocol and what it does and it's a simple video that explained it much better than i did in certain aspects um, because there's just some parts that even though i understand the, what it means it's just that i can't necessarily recall it and yeah the instant of just being like yeah this is how exactly it happens because it's still something that i'm wrapping my head around in certain aspects and the, the zero knowledge part and whatnot i could tell you what a zero knowledge proof does but i can, still can't understand how like how it operates in the back end yeah i've heard of proofs and stuff but i still don't understand how so how they work either so that's all over my head zero uh, knowledge proofs <laughs> that's gonna be the thing of the future zk zk roll-ups others and also too one of the great things about vladimir is that he works on another project that also ensures privacy but on the cardano blockchain and it's called zk folds or something like that and that project is essentially going to be bringing in zk rollups to cardano something that ethereum has um it's just trying to do the exact same thing on cardano and, and has... zk rollups are zero knowledge proof, proof like related to zero knowledge proofs yeah so essentially zk rollups are proofs that are run off chain and then they are used later on to by the main chain to be re-verified in order for it to be actually implemented. So it's kind of like you're doing all these computations on this side, not utilizing the core blockchain. And then once you're done doing all these calculations and whatnot, you go back to the main blockchain in order for you to verify. It's because like the, the blockchain, like the core blockchain of like Cardano would be like the settlement layer of just saying like, oh, all that stuff that you did on that side, Okay, it's correct. It could be implemented in the blockchain. So that's how like ZK rollups kind of you could it's like a lot of off off computing and then you're just using Cardano, the main chain as like a verifier of like everything that you did is fine. So And what's the the point of that? Is that just so like you're not tying up the blockchain or you can like do things without having to rely on the blockchain, then you can just kind of use it for like a final transaction, like if you were I guess like some type of NFT game or something like that, where a lot of stuff's happening, you can calculate it all off the blockchain and then just kind of the final result is checked and then that goes through. Like, like what's the appeal of a ZK rollup? I still don't fully understand. Yeah, so the, the zero knowledge part of it also too, I forgot what I just described before is rollups in general. The ZK rollup is the privacy part of it where it just kind of like all of the computations are done in a way where it's ensured to preserve privacy in terms of, let's say in general, um, oh, perfect example. Let's say like your driver's license, right? Yeah. And so you go into a bar and you have to show that you're 21 or at least 21 in order for you to enter. But you see that how your driver's license has a bunch of, like he has your, your home address. It has like, your, uh, your, your sex, I mean, if let's say you you don't want to identify or something like that. Um, it has your height, all these different things. And for a woman, it would be more um, something that they wouldn't want to share since, like, you know, address. And let's say the bouncer is like a serial killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know exactly where you live now or if you were to remember it. Very unlikely, but still. That's like a case situation. So you have to show all that information. But what if there's a way for you to show only that you're 21? You're at least 21, right? Yeah. So that's where a ZK roll, um, ZK roll up, uh, ZK, ZK proof comes in, where it's just like it obfuscates everything else, where it comes like your address, your gender, and whatnot, and it'll essentially just say, trust that this number, that the twenty one, she, this person's at least twenty one, and so they can enter the the club or like the bar. So it's a way to ensure that the information that you're providing is accurate without having to provide more than necessary. Okay. Yeah. So that could be like, I guess, example use cases like in the future, if you had an NFT to like access some part of a website or you needed a certain amount of ADA, 
it could check to make sure that you have the balance or that you have that NFT without like knowing exactly how much ADA and all the other NFTs that are in your wallet. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That sounds very useful. Yeah. That's the thing about like blockchains. We always say, Oh, it's great. It provides anonymity, but not privacy because everything that's happened, all of the transactions that you've have gone sending, whatnot, it's all there. It's all public information. So we need a certain level of privacy because, Hey, like all of the stuff that you bought on Amazon, would you want it to be public information? Yeah. And like yeah. any money you send to anyone or exactly. any, like when everything's NFTs, like when movies and books and everything's there, it's like anyone in the world could have access to every single thing you own online, basically. Exactly. So you need to have some type of level of, yeah, privacy in order for you to, let's say what some of the, like you you wouldn't want, like, like years from now, you have a, hundred thousand ADA in your wallet and that's worth like a hundred million. Yeah, you would wanna have a certain level of privacy where people don't know that you have a hundred million. They know you have a certain amount, but they don't necessarily know the exact amount. And you have it and you and essentially in the future, the way that we're moving, we wanna have the hundred million within our own personal wallet that we only have access to. So if I have a wallet and I have a hundred million, I would definitely would want some level of privacy so that the whole world doesn't know how much I have. Yeah. Especially with like cyber crime and stuff too. If they know yes. everyone, they could be like, Oh, anyone that has more than a million dollars worth of ADA, like those are the people we're going to focus on exactly. trying to scam and stuff. So yeah, being able to obscure that would be very nice. So it's good that people yeah. are working on this and Endscoin, didn't you also say there's like a very limited amount? Do you say it's 15 million? Is yeah, the... it's the perfect, uh, perfect amount, in my opinion. It's limited. And from a supply and demand standpoint, it's actually going, it's pretty great to be a Endscoin holder. And one of the reasons why is the portion that I had mentioned where it talks about stake pools, the relaying portion of like the people that are going to be providing, um, privacy interactions like they're going to be verifying or kind of running it like stake pool where just like whenever somebody interacts with the protocol they want to have a certain level of privacy there are people that are going to be verifying that privacy and like sending ada from one place to the other kind of like a stake pool there's a threshold right now that in order for you to be become a verifiable relayer is going to be a hundred thousand hens coins that you oh, need wow. to have under your stake in order for you to be one of those verifiers and that is like uh i think the the threshold is let's say everybody were to do that and that's almost never happens um that'd be like a, what it leaves room for like 150 real layers and let's just since not everyone's gonna like even though all of the close to all of the 15 million hands coins are in circling supply right now yeah some people are just gonna decide to not participate or not delegate their vote some people are going to decide to just sell. Some people are just going to be like, you know what? There's also the option of doing it yourself. Um, and, or, but it's just like the fees that you would get or like the return wouldn't be that high. So you would rather, and you have to do all the work yourself if you don't have the 100000 So, you know, you rather just delegate whatever portion you have to somebody else who's going to actually do all of the work and have the hardware requirements in order for them to run the hand-scoring protocol. The relay protocol um overall so yeah i say all this to say is so some people are going to have this like kind of like stake pools a hundred thousand delegated to them for them to run the relay protocol and certain places like there's there still needs to be a market of like people buying and selling hence coin so that's kind of kind of like that first part of the relayers we're going to take somewhat some of it out of circulating supply so, and then you have people who are just like buying and selling. Some of it is going to be on exchanges and also to other projects that are going to be utilizing the protocol probably would want to have a little bit amount of hens under books in order for them to have some type of governance, um, decision-making, or just in general, be able to profit away from the, the fees that are generated by the protocol. So from the 15 million, you could see that there's a lot of things that are kind of taking away at it. And that means that the price and the supply and demand. So if there's going to be an ample demand, low supply, 
price booms. So um, that's pretty much what I'm waiting for. I think that it has a lot of potential to be to be trading at a couple of hundred bucks next bull run. And especially since it's the one that's providing this on Cardano, how far Cardano goes, I think they have a great chance of being that go-to because, oh, I'm the only, I, I even haven't mentioned the second part because they have the V1 right now that's getting audited and will be released later this year, probably within the next month or two after the, the auditing is done that only covers ADA transactions. But the V2 that they're working on is going to be any Cardano native tokens. So Jed, all of the ones that are building right now, like LenFi, ADA Finance, um, no, no, that's the same thing. They just rebranded. Um, I mean, Liquid Finance, I mean, um, all these other ones, once they start getting implemented with hens, that means that you could have so much privacy and DEXs. DEXs are going to be another one that's going to implement hens. So you have like all of these different things coming together. So from a supply and demand standpoint, the people that are holding hands, ha, you're going to be making money hand over fist. Yeah, I keep seeing of the few YouTube videos I saw, a lot of them are like 100x for ends coin. Oh, that's um, it? But nah. a few a, a few things. Um, probably just said this at the beginning, like disclaimer, this is not financial advice. Yeah, no, yeah, no, never financial Entertainment, advice. we do both own some of the coins so but we're not on the team so we're not we're not inside trading or anything but yeah just that disclaimer and then also do you think that it could be too few or is there any chance that they could like ever mint more of the coin just like is 150 relayers at most is that too concentrated or do you think that's like a good amount to like still be decentralized yeah that's a good question because i think that a lot of people were voicing that concern where over time would it make more sense to you, because that's why I wanted to also make that dis- distinction. To become a verified relayer, you need to have 100,000 hens coin delegated to you. But anybody could be a relayer, even if you have like five hens. So, and that's and from that standpoint, even though anybody could do it, it just would be more profitable for you to have 100,000 delegated yeah. to you. So it just becomes that type of um, dynamic. But from a supply and demand if there's like a lot of demand for the, the the use, if the use in the um, utilization of the protocol is very high, even like having like, let's say 10,000 hens, or actually that, that could be a lot in the future too. So let's say you just have way less than a hundred thousand, you could still run because it'll be, some, there's, there's going to be some type of profit for you to make, even though you won't be able to make um, as much if you had to have, and you wouldn't be listed as a, as a verifiable relayer, if you don't have a hundred thousand, and also to, um, yeah, you you still have that option for you to actually use the protocol. It's just the fees that you generate are very low, and there's yeah, there's gonna be governance actions that are gonna be brought by the community to possibly change that threshold instead of one hundred and fifty um, max right now to possibly having. Uh, less threshold of maybe like only all you need would be like 10,000 hands delegated to you in order for you to become a verifiable relayer. Uh, those were just general discussions that have been had amongst people. But Vladimir had explained, and nobody understood <laughs> again, that uh, the 150 is a good threshold and because they don't want to have, from a verifiable relayer perspective, they want to have I think he was just saying that between a hundred, he had used numbers. I don't remember exactly the numbers, but he said that is good in terms of decentralization. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be like ten thousand relayers that are running the protocol. You know, um, you could it, that that smaller concentration is actually good in certain aspects. And one hundred and fifty is it's fairly that's that's in an idealized world, but more than likely, it's probably going to be like forty. Yeah, as I say, that's like max. So I could see it being a lot less and they all have more than 100,000. Yeah, because I think it's the the way, because since it's built on Cardano, there's going to be that liquid staking aspect of it where you could change your hands delegation at any point. And so you'll always have that the 
the control as a you um as a hand scoring holder of like who you delegate to and also to with governance actions there could be a case that is brought up by a couple of relators saying that hey we need more people and they provide that proposal and people could vote on lowering that threshold so it's it, i think from a starting standpoint vladimir had said 100 like the cap at 150 is good but from a long-term perspective it definitely could change so um, it's still early days. There's still a lot to iron out, especially with V1 and that's coming out and V2 hopefully coming out before 2025. But if V2 comes out before 2025, man, shoot, I don't know. I don't know, man. And what's the difference between V1 and V2? Like what's implemented in V2 that's not in V1? So V1 is only ADA. Um, ADA will be the ones that you could transact okay. with private privately. But V2 will be like all, all native, the other coins, okay. All the native Cardano coins that decide to um, be implemented. Like it, it's just a matter of like Jed, you imagine you want to send 100,000 Jed, which is basically $100,000 yeah. to somebody. Yeah, that, that just has that built in, or you could just do it. Do you think they'll uh, implement Husky? Do you think you'll be able to send them? Oh, out, yeah. Honestly? Yeah, I think so. I think, I don't know how much. Like he want to send a bunch of shit <laughs> to somebody else. It's like, yeah, I just sent you a million or one billion Husky, which is worth, I don't know, like a hundred bucks. Yeah. So, is it even worth that? Yeah, I haven't come up with the Husky prices recently. Oh, uh, no, nah, man. I, I've given, I've always, I think that, I think that meme coins have their place. And I think it's, it's a necessary thing for any thriving ecosystem. To just have a certain amount of meme coins. I know Hosky was one of the original ones. Now there's Snack. I don't know oh, if you yeah. heard about Snack. I think some I people... have some Snack from Drift Drops. Oh, yeah. A lot of people made a lot of money with Snack. Um, oh, Snack was actually worth something. Let me check. My... Oh, it was. It was that they were one of the big leaders in the DeFi summer of Cardano. So yeah, they did a lot. There was a proposal. It's kind of funny that they brought a proposal to be added as a. Um, borrowable or collateral asset on NenFi because anytime that a new asset gets um, introduced, it gets introduced and people like the NenFi holders have to vote. And it was crazy when it came to the voting because essentially they had just barely got the threshold in order for them to be added as a as a borrowable asset on NenFi. I think it was like 20,000, it was like a, it was down to like, I think 15 to 20,000 LenFi decided whether or not they got added or they were going to be left out. So yeah, I voted against them, but um, overall looking back at it, they are like the second most borrowed asset on LenFi now. It's crazy. Oh wow, they, that is crazy. I know, LenFi was like showing, they have these weekly numbers and the most borrowed asset, it's kind of funny. It's like the, the LenFi um, governance, since it's appreciated value, has been the most borrowed or collateralized asset on LenFi. And the second most after that has been SNEC by like, the LenFi is like 50%. SNEC is like 30%. And I was like, what the hell? So um, it got added. At least I was part of it. At least my vote got counted. I felt good about it. Because even though the thing didn't go my way, that's the thing about um, governance. I think you're not going to go your way or what you think might not go through. But hey, at least when you voted, you felt included. Yeah. That's all that it is. It's like I, I vote right now for the president elections. Maybe my vote counts. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it gets counted. Maybe, maybe it gets counted. Maybe but... it gets lost somewhere. Or Yeah. Or maybe it gets shuffled with something else. Yeah. Or some dead people. <laughs> how's uh, how's stripper coin doing? Is stripper coin worth anything nowadays? I remember that was another meme coin I oh I got from drip drops back in the day. Yeah, I have some stripper coin. Um, I remember you telling me about how they were changing from one to the other. Like they were... yeah, all mine in my wallet is now stripper coin old. So I'm assuming oh, okay. there's a new stripper coin again. <laughs> there's that... a new stripper on the block. I haven't kept up with it, but I have old stripper coin. I don't, I don't think it's worth very much if I had to guess. Yeah, I I don't know because if, when it comes to meme coins, I don't invest in them at all. Even with like Snack, I I, I could have gotten into Snack 
people made some substantial gains and then rolled it over into um, other more um, other assets that have more utility, using utility like LenFi or Indigo. There's all these different ones that you could buy. Blue chips, per se, on Cardano. So some people did that play, and it worked out very well for them. But for me personally, it's just like a philosophy where I just don't go for meme coins. And I'll live in that with those results. I'm, I'd rather just take the use and utility route and see how far that gets me. If it doesn't get me, net me as much as a meme coin, then uh, I don't think investing is for me then. I'll just go do something else. Yeah, I feel like investing in meme coins is like really playing the lottery. Like anything, investing in crypto, like even Bitcoin or Ethereum is like still pretty risky to a normal person. Then I feel like altcoins is risky. NFTs yeah. is more risky than that. And like meme coins is like... And super degen. Yeah, you're just like rolling the rolling the dice for that. But sometimes it works. A lot of people made money off Doge. So. And, that is true. and it is still trading in the top 10 of crypto. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I think it's like... Is it above Cardano? Like recently when I looked, I think it was still above Cardano. I think it, yeah, it's been trading. It's either like right below Cardano or like right. I think it's still at seven cents because I still have a decent amount of Doge that I bought when it was like two or three cents. That I'm just holding on to. Let me check a coin gecko. Yeah, let me check. I think they, they're probably eighth. Oh, they, they're right under yeah they're right yeah, they're, under cardano they're ninth yeah they're like neck and neck wow there. but it's like a 40 million dollar difference yeah so i think they keep going back and forth because i remember looking as like how is doge above cardano <laughs> i don't know but still it's gonna be interesting it was worth 40 billion at one point is that crazy yeah that's insane. it's crazy how much a lot of stuff was worth yeah at least uh cardano is worth more than solana so yeah solana Nah, Solana will be back, but I don't necessarily know. Hmm, we'll see. We'll see how how they pan out. I I also I always have a lot of, um, when it comes to other ecosystems, I always pray for them. But for me, I'm not like a Cardano Maxi per se. But it's just like when it comes to business, right? Like there's over time, there's gonna be like a top five, top ten businesses in the world. I'm saying that out of the top five, top 10, my horse that I'm putting my money behind is Cardano. Wherever it lands in the top five to top 10, I'm fine. You know, it's, it's part of the top five, top 10. Um, other, other people will say, Oh, Solana should be number one. And maybe Solana does go number one, but it'll be number one. And maybe Cardano's like four or three. I'm still fine. You know, it's like, I'm still part of the top and it's not a winner take all. If it was, Bitcoin would have just been it and nobody else would have had any chance. But it's a multi, like a multi-chain is the thing. Oh, actually, multi-chain is not the thing. You know what happened with that? They went down. The CEO got arrested and whatnot. But um, interoperability is the future. One chain. So things like that. So a lot of ecosystems provide different things. And over time... I think the the one the glue that's gonna bring everything together are the ones that have like really good specifications that have like Cardano is gonna be robustness and security and decentralization. That's gonna be like its main focus. Like Solana might be speed because like the transactions just go like this or Algorand also has that going for them. Um, Ethereum might be I don't know it might be crap because those gas fees man I don't know. <laughs> Bitcoin is going to be store of value. We know that. Yeah. Um, so XRP is going to be banker's coin of just like instant settlements between banks and just different institutions in general. So all these different, they have their own thing that they're going to be really good at. And for me, I just think that Cardano provides a lot. And for the what it provides, I'm aligned with it philosophically. And from a technological standpoint, it's going to get better over time. And governance is going to get better. And yeah, so I think it's going to be properly run for years and decades to come. And if it's and it's built for long term, that's what I like, because one of the things I've realized is just that always like things that are told to you that you wouldn't want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You (laughs) don't want to only hear good things all the time. That's kind of a red flag. Exactly. Because literally, like I think 2021. There was a Cardano video that came out. It's like Cardano 360. They do a monthly wrap-up of what's going on in the ecosystem. And one of the lead 
developers or who monitors the the blockchain, tries to see like whenever they add new features, what's going on. He literally was like, yeah, when it comes to Cardano, you have to really have a long-term vision about it. We're not going to be here to pump your bags a year or two from now. We're like building it out for decades to come. So if you're really trying to make a lot of money, do not come here. And I was like, damn it, this guy. But he's right. Good things take a long time to kind of really take their, um, get their wins and actually be everything that they set out to be. It doesn't happen fast. So they told me they're like slow and steady. I'm like, no, I want fast and break things. But if I wanted that, I could have just gone to Ethereum. That's what they're doing right there. And we know all the problems that's happening on that side. So it's just like, all right. Um, there's still opportunities to make money in Cardano. Cardano dApps are going to be the way to go. But if you were to just hold ADA as like the your main investment, yeah, you're going to do well next bull run. 20 to 40 X, maybe even like a 50 X, but not like a thousand X. <laughs> you can't do that with Cardano, I think. So well, hopefully ends coin will be a thousand X. That'd be pretty sweet. Bro, I'm telling you, man, honestly, I've been looking at all of the privacy protocols. So I've looked at Monero. I looked at tornado cash. I looked at the version of tornado cash on phantom. Um, I've looked at some of, I looked at across a couple of different ones across a lot of equals. I looked at Zcash, but Zcash came out more recently. Um, Dash, I looked at Dash. It's another one that's pretty good with privacy. So I was looking at all of them. And whenever the ones that came out during a bear market, they were trading around the same thing that Hensecoin is trading at right now. 50 cents, 80 cents, a dollar. But once the bull run hits, they all hit like at least um, three figures in terms of like 100 100 to like 400. So Monero hit 400 plus um, in the first bull run. And it just like barely hit the all-time high, just like superseded by ever so slightly in uh, in 2021 because it came out in 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Monero's been around a while. Yeah, I've seen a couple bull runs. Yeah, I've seen, yeah, I've seen like, yeah, those two. It came out 2015-ish. Yeah, 2017, it reached 400 something. And then 2020... 2017, it reached 400 something. 2021, it reached like 490, like slightly above the previous all time high. And I'm just thinking to myself, let's say Hens does not reach 400. Let's see if it reaches like one fourth of that, like 100 bucks. You still see the X's that you made so far? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've started DCAing weekly. So every Sunday, I'm buying 250. <sighs> so hopefully can stack that for a while yeah stack hence you'll be i think it's gonna be a good is out of all of the projects from a tokenomics standpoint it like one of the things i've realized is tokenomics make a lot in crypto in terms of the returns that you could get from a project that is fundamentally has some great tokenomics you can make way much more than like a great project that has okay tokenomics or bad tokenomics, you know? Because it just come from like the supply and demand standpoint. It just it just gets inverted, especially in a bull run where everybody's irrational. They just want to buy it at any price and there's not that much available. And if you provide that and then I'm like, all right, buy it from me for like 200 bucks. And people are like, oh yeah, perfect. I'll buy it from you. And then like other people are like, oh sh- damn, I want to get some more too. I'm like, okay, here you go. I'll sell it to you for like 300 bucks. And they're like, oh, great. It's like the market psychology just gets so irrational, especially in crypto, that when you're liquidating your bags, you have to do it during a bull run. It's like, there's no like, oh, it could go higher. I don't care if like, let's say me and you, we sell it at like a hundred bucks or 200, right? If it goes to like 600, I mean, that kind of sucks. I'd still be upset, but I'd be be pretty happy. Yeah. Oh, at a hundred or 200, it's just like, come on, like we're in your lifetime. Where else could you see these type of returns? You can't see it in the stock market. Um, you can't see it in real estate. A funny story I have for you about real estate. And you just can't see it anywhere else. Like, maybe in a casino, but like you, we already know the chances on, or is, are not on your side. Even though people say that investing in crypto is risky, it's like right now investing in the bear market, it's not risky. The upside yeah. that you have compared to the downside, okay, right now you lose 50%. Maybe a, let's say there's like another market correction or crash. But the upside is just like, yeah, I lose 50%, but I made like 10,000%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The risk in a bear market seems yeah. very minimal. Like, yeah, it's risky when it's a bull market and things are exactly. changing like 
double digit percentages like per hour but exactly right now it's not that bad yeah so oh what's the what's the real estate thing maybe we can wrap up on that oh yeah so i remember in our last talk we talked about how you had made a comment about how real estate is a safe investment but that's actually could not be true because let's say you buy a house now and later down the line you lose like 200k of it like so you buy you buy for like 500k and then like five years there's a market crash and it goes down to 300 or 200 so you're kind of like underwater with your loan yeah and interestingly enough i'm reading this other book by howard marks it's called market cycles and there was a study done by i think yale or harvard and it essentially was they looked at a house in the netherlands and one of the like a very popular city that like there's been a lot of traffic over time in that city of like people coming and going and whatnot and they did the study of like one particular house that was bought in the netherlands and like the transfer of ownership between 1628 to 1973 and when it comes to like that's like 300 years yeah and those 300 years that house doubled in price but when it comes to is that adjusted for, as i say is that adjusted for inflation or before? exactly adjusted for inflation and whatnot so it means you mean to tell me you'd have to wait 300 years in order for you to have value of your home to double in price so like you essentially it's like the adjusted inflation number was like 0.002 percent that you were gonna make if you were to like i'm holding on to that real estate you know so your great great grandkids can like like once you sell it probably the taxes it's gonna like exactly yeah that's very little revenue after that and the reason why is because before we didn't necessarily have a fiat monetary system where you could just inflate things out of nothing you know so um so it goes back to that it's like the reason why we think right now that real estate is a safe investment that it's going to only appreciate over time it's not supposed to because real estate much like everything else is a market markets go up markets go down they're not so it's not like a ever-ending good times but it's kind of changed in the last 20 odd years actually it started to change since the 1970s like yeah. 1971 when nixon took us off the gold standard reading another book about why that was the one probably all of the ailments that we see in society today i'd say like a great majority like 85 percent of them would have not happened if we never got off the gold standard yeah it seems like a lot of things go back to that um and just to stay on the housing thing i also think people are like oh it's like only going to go up because there's such like a housing shortage and like there's only so much land and all this thing and i think potentially for the like near future who knows like things could change at any moment there could be a crash but i think long term looking at like birth rates and stuff like that i think when we're older there's gonna be like a huge population implosion because there's like not many kids being born and we're gonna go from i mean in other countries india and stuff like that it's not the same case but here at least like i think we're gonna go from a housing shortage to like an abundance of housing because there's gonna like once all the people that are old now die we have no young kids I feel like there's gonna be a ton of houses and I think the value is just gonna drop. So that's happening I, in Japan. Yeah. I don't think that uh long term it's like a surefire bet like a lot of people like to say. Yeah, because people like you you touch on two things that people usually say. Oh, long term, it's safe. Um, oh, um, there's always gonna like land, you're not gonna make more, you can't make more land. Like and then the funny thing is in the book it says like all of these are fallacies. It's like it's a hedge against inflation fallacy, <laughs> because also too from a from a standpoint of economics, right? Let's say right now our generation, we look at it, we look at a house, we're like, this is such a significant investment, and I don't necessarily know whether or not I could make these payments or just long term. It just doesn't make financial sense for me, right? So if enough of us are saying that, maybe it doesn't happen right now where the prices go down. But who's going to buy these houses at these elevated prices, you know? It's probably yep. going to go back to renting, but... It seems like that's already been happening. Like, yeah, these houses still have, like, they've gone up 50% in price since pre-COVID, but they've got to the point where no one's buying them. Because, like, people that can even sell their house, they're like, oh, I could sell this for way more than I paid for it, but then I still have to go buy another house, and it costs way exactly. more. So it's, like, washing out all my returns anyway. 
but it does worry me like companies like BlackRock and shit like buying up all these houses and then just renting them and then there's like you'll own that, nothing and be happy yeah exactly that creates like an artificial shortage like yeah there's way more houses than there are people but one company owns all of them and you can't buy it so you have to rent it and never own it yeah that's essentially what's happening right now i think our generation is so fucked man it was, it's just like i think we all know it but it's just the amount of crap we're gonna deal with oh man it's it's not good crypto is one of the solutions yeah hopefully that'll that'll help save us I, I i do worry about that as well but things can change at any moment i always think of like how people must have thought in world war ii they're like fuck we just had a world war one like 15 or 20 years ago i'm terrible with history but it's like people that in the midst of world war ii must have been like fuck now we have like a nuclear bomb like things are screwed and then you had like a huge wave of like prosperity for like a decade after that so i've read i've watched a video on a summary of this book i do want to read it it's called the fourth turning and it talks about how the world but definitely america like kind of goes through these 80 year cycles broken up into four different turnings i guess so it's basically like the length of a kind of average human life and so it's about like 20 year phases and they think we're in a fourth turning right now which the last one was world war ii so there's like this huge crisis kind of comes to a crescendo things get really bad but then things kind of reset and things are really good after that so i guess the people that did this analysis think that probably like early 2030s is when the fourth turning will end and we'll get like another first turning but who knows it, things do seem to be cyclical like i've been reading like a lot of older books like john steinbeck from like the early 1900s and a lot of it seems very re- relatable to now so that'd be pretty sweet if we're like in our mid 30s early 40s and shit gets really good again i feel like that would be good timing uh, i don't know man because the thing is the bad times are going to be really bad though yeah and i don't necessarily know whether or not the masses will be in a place where they'll be able to tough it out, you know, because I think it'll be in a position of, okay, things are going to be really bad and we're going to, most people are going to flock to safety and security that's provided by the same people that enslaved us in the first place. But the next system that they're going to come out with is just going to, they're going to blame you first. They're going to be like, you know what? This is the fault of the consumer or the average person. You guys did it all wrong. And people are going to be like, okay, but, what can we do now? And then they're going to implement a new system. And then the new system is going to be like, because you messed up so much, we are going to need more control over you and your individual life and your individual freedoms are going to be stripped away from you. And yeah. you're going to comprehend that with AI. It's not going to look good, man. That's why, like, even though it's cyclical, like you mentioned, the cycle of the other side, I don't necessarily, I'm not too optimistic about it. I mean, I think it definitely could go that way. Um, it's definitely not bound to repeat itself, but I don't know. I think a lot of things could coalesce at the right time. Like, I think a lot of issues come from us being a gerontocracy. Like, our government's completely run by like 70 or 80 year old people when yeah. we have AI and shit. So, I think by the end of the 20, like 2020s, early 2030s, a lot of those people are going to retire or die, which hopefully will bring in like a new wave of leadership. Hopefully, we'll start like acclimating to this technology more like all these ai advances are happening and most people are completely unaware of it so hopefully that'll start reaching the mainstream hopefully people will be more awakened to like oh shit we have no data privacy like all these companies are selling our data like we want to own our own data hopefully things like crypto will lead to more financial independence so i mean it could also go the other way where we have a complete surveillance state where they're using ai to read our brains and there's like you can't speak out against anything but I'm hoping it'll be positive and all these things will lead to like more, I guess, independence by people and we'll get new leadership and hopefully like our generation will start coming into more leadership roles where we can turn things around. But <laughs> you know, things always look really bad before they get good. And I think I'm hoping we're getting close to the climax of that and it doesn't get too bad for us personally. And then it starts going the other way, but yeah. you never know. I also think the prosperity could start happening in places like Africa and shit and they could get like, how America was in the 1940s, like they, they benefit from it mostly, and we're like fucking, like Third England. World and, country. <laughs> yeah, we're like the Europe on the downswing, but who knows? We'll see. I think the only thing that definitely will happen, well, things that like whatever anyone's predicted, I think that's guaranteed to not happen. I'm sure a bunch of shit we're not expecting is gonna change. Oh, yeah. Change it's it. So. Next one event, something that's just gonna like out of left field. Maybe aliens. We already know aliens exist, and they came through here. 
maybe they colonize us. Finally, yeah. man. It's just like we've seen so many sci-fi movies about it. Hey, let's let's have it happen, man. Yeah, that's what like I was at the beach with my girlfriend yesterday, just like watching someone play with their dogs, and I'm like, the concept of humans having pets is kind of weird. Like that we just have these other species that we've completely domesticated using food and like they're just our personal like play things I'm like what if aliens come down and we become like the equivalent of dogs to them like that could happen it's like oh we don't have to worry about anything now just like the alien overlords are controlling everything and we're like living in these ai houses and they pet us and give us money to like <laughs> domesticate us instead of food yeah Who Who hopefully. Uh, but yeah hopefully things will be good i'm yeah. hoping no, uh, as, long, as long as you don't get nuclear war or an asteroid, I'll be or killer AI, I'll be I'll be pretty happy. If we have a nuclear war, uh, most of this doesn't matter at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, that's a that's a good note to end on. Yes. <laughs> hopefully, no nuclear war. Yeah, hopefully not. Uh, I think yeah, like you said, I think it's definitely gonna be a black swan event. Yeah, we keep saying maybe it's a pan- another pandemic. I don't think so. Nuclear war. It could happen. I definitely think maybe it's like an asteroid that finally comes through and wipes us out like the dinosaurs. I'm hoping not, but I, I do worry <laughs> about anytime I do psychedelics, I become very aware of like, oh, an asteroid could come at any point. So, yeah. Maybe maybe that that's the black swan event that really takes us out. Well, it'd make every other every other problem uh, seem pretty meaningless in comparison. That's true. Who cares about what the price of Bitcoin is done? Yes. <laughs> I don't think when somebody's getting cooked up by like the asteroid, they're like, oh my God, my portfolio. God, those gas fees are so high. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, I guess we'll see you all next time on Pete and Jake's Corner. I don't know.